Hi, it's Ken White. And it's Josh Barrow, and this is Serious Trouble. Ken, welcome back from your vacation. Thank you very much, Josh. So Ken is just back from that vacation. Uh, For free subscribers, this is going to be a pretty short episode this week. We're going to catch you up on what happened or didn't happen uh, with the grand jury in Manhattan uh, and with uh, matters related to that defamation lawsuit brought by E. Jean Carroll, uh, Mike Pence's efforts to avoid testifying before Jack Smith's grand jury looking into the events of January 6th. Uh, So that's here for free subscribers. There is a longer episode this week for paying subscribers that uh, covers one of the most requested topics that we've ever had uh, from listeners. We got so many emails asking us to talk about this lawsuit against Afroman. Uh, Afroman, who you might remember from Because I Got High, his home got raided by some sheriff's deputies from Adams County, Ohio last year. Sheriff's deputies apparently didn't find anything, but he did make a lot of content using footage from his home security cameras, footage that his wife recorded on her phone, uh, wrote some songs making fun of those sheriff's deputies and uh, how much they seem to want his mom's lemon pound cake that was sitting in his kitchen. Uh, so anyway, we're going to talk about the legal merits of that lawsuit, whether Afroman can be sued, whether those cops really have a right not to have their image used in his music videos. Music videos are very funny, by the way. Uh, but so in any case, if you know you want to hear about that, if you know you want to hear about Sam Bankman-Fried on his uh, latest misadventures uh, that led to a fifth superseding indictment brought by federal prosecutors, and you are not a paying subscriber, I would suggest you just stop this episode right now. Go to SeriousTrouble.show. You can subscribe for $6 a month or $60 a year, and you'll get this full episode, every full episode of the show, at least 40 episodes a year. You get to participate in our common threads. So anyway, you can go there and sign up for that. But Ken, uh, for those of you who are just going to stick around and listen to this free episode, Ken, why don't we start uh, with Donald Trump and the grand jury and the arrest that never came? And there had been a lot of discussion, including from the former president himself, about the idea that he might be indicted and arrested and ideally perp-walked if you're Donald Trump. He wants this to be as much of a spectacle as possible, apparently. Uh, Anyway, he was saying that he was going to be arrested last Tuesday, March 21st. Uh, Last Tuesday came and went. We did not have to interrupt Ken's vacation. Donald Trump was not arrested. He was not indicted. And as we proceed through this week, we're taping on Wednesday morning, but uh, what it uh, says uh, in the the various New York news outlets is that this grand jury that's been looking into matters related to the hush payment to Stormy Daniels, that it's not expected to vote on any sort of indictment this week. So Ken, first of all, you dodged that bullet. To what extent were not just the former president, but everyone guessing or being wishful? I mean, how how much can anyone really know when a grand jury is going to act? Generally, it's not the grand jury that decides. It's the prosecutors who decide. So the grand jury doesn't just show up one day and say, today's the day we're indicting. They indict when the prosecution presents them with a proposed indictment and says, this is what we want you to indict on. So someone knows perfectly well when this is going to happen. And that someone is uh, the groups of prosecutors in the DA's office. I think this story cycle began when there was news saying that various sources said that DA authorities were talking to the Secret Service and others about how mechanically an arrest of Trump would happen. That was a reasonable basis on which to think something might be percolating. Then we had Trump's very self-serving rant about how he was about to be arrested, which was, history teaches us not a particularly reliable basis to think anything. (laughs) And now we've got these ongoing stories about how it's really going to happen any time now. As I said before, I'll believe it when I see it. I think that 
all the factors together make it seem likely that it's going to happen, but I'm still not 100% convinced, and I would still not be blown away if it never happens. Does the DA necessarily know whether and when he's going to indict Donald Trump? I mean, for example, one thing we know the grand jury has been up to this Monday, David Pecker, who uh, used to be the publisher of the National Enquirer, um, he appeared for a second time before the grand jury, WNBC, uh, speculating that this may be because they are trying to see if David Pecker will corroborate Michael Cohen's claim that the purpose for which Donald Trump made this hush payment to Stormy Daniels was a political purpose um, to further his campaign for election to the presidency of the United States. That would be something you would need to show uh, if you were going to allege that uh, Trump falsified his business records, obscured the purpose of this payment in order to further another crime, which is to say a campaign finance crime where he would have done this campaign expense, not rooted it through his campaign, not reported as a campaign expense. Is it possible that the, they're still trying to build this case? They're bringing people before the grand jury, seeing what they will say and actually reacting to the testimony that's coming. If, if they get what they need, maybe that means they'll move toward an indictment. If they don't get what they need, it could take a while or maybe they won't indict at all. We sure. Absolutely. They could still be gathering evidence. They could still be evaluating. And after all, that's what they should be doing is making a sober analysis of how much evidence they put in, whether it's enough. But the point is that they're the ones in control. They get to decide when to pull the trigger. They get to decide, well, anything beyond that is going to be of a marginal use. We're not going to do it. We have enough for a probable cause. We have enough to indict. It's pretty rare for the grand jury to do anything other than yes or no. Mm -hmm. Grand jurors generally will not say, eh, I don't think you quite have it. Why don't you go get us a few more witnesses? They don't interact on that level. No, I understand uh, that. But I mean, I, I'm asking about whether the prosecutors are using the grand jury process as a tool here that they are listening to the questioning of David Pecker and others, and, and, and they're using it to learn whether or not they have a case. Well, sure. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be for, too, is right. a tool for investigation. So it's very possible they are and that they are not at the decision point that's being portrayed when we know we're going to indict, we know what we're going to indict for, and it's just a question of timing. Mm -hmm. uh, also, to, to remind listeners, David Pecker, if you haven't thought about him in six years or so, in his capacity running the National Enquirer, he brokered this deal between Stormy Daniels uh, and uh, Michael Cohen on behalf of Donald Trump. So he would have knowledge of this. Whether he would have knowledge of Donald Trump's state of mind, I mean, this is the... We're not the only ones looking at this prosecution or this potential prosecution thinking it looks like basically the weakest possible angle to go after former President Trump uh, for a criminal offense, where basically you have to show that the president, you know, specifically did this for a campaign purpose, that he, you have to prove that that it was a campaign finance crime, which is very difficult because of the very high intent requirements around campaign finance crimes. Federal prosecutors never sought to prosecute this. It would basically be a bank shot way of using state law to prosecute a federal case the federal government never prosecuted. It, just, it still strikes me as crazy. Well, it, crazy, uh, yes, and aggressive, but this is something you're more likely to see from a DA than from a U.S. attorney, this type of what you call a bank shot. You know, DAs are more likely on average to say, yeah, it's kind of an aggressive theory. Let's see what happens uh, <laughs> versus, you know, the U.S. attorneys saying, you know, my God, if I if I try this out there theory and I lose, I'm never going to get a partnership at Sidley and Austin later. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so... It's a different culture and the DAs will just say, yeah, let's take the shot. Let's see what happens. 
I want to know what you make of the leaks that we're seeing from this grand jury process. I mean, uh, the you have WNBC saying three sources familiar with the matter told them that the grand jury did not vote on an indictment on Monday. Uh, WABC cited uh, sources familiar uh, saying that when the grand jury meets later this week, it's supposed to address other matters, not this Trump-related investigation. Sometimes when we talk about, when we learn about things in the news from the grand jury process, that we may be learning it from witnesses or associates of those witnesses. And witnesses are not bound by confidentiality in the grand jury process. You can tell the world what the grand jury asked you about. But these things about whether the grand jury voted, about what it's going to do when it meets on future dates, those aren't things that witnesses would know, right? Whoever's talking to the press about that, presumably that has to be either people on the grand jury uh, or people who know people who are on the grand jury, or it would have to be people from the prosecutor's office. It's most likely to be someone with the prosecutor's office because the grand jurors themselves don't necessarily know ahead of time what's going to be happening at the next session. Uh, The prosecutor may tell them, but it may not turn out that way. Anything that goes to scheduling or what's going to happen next suggests a leak in the DA's office or the clerk's office or, you know, something adjacent to that whole process. And there's tons of people. Uh, It's secret, but you've got the DAs who are actually doing the grand jury work. You've got their supervisors, their colleagues, their staff. Uh, You've got people in the clerk's office and uh, you've got uh, court reporters. You've got all sorts of people. Speaking of uh, things that we're learning about that are supposed to be uh, secret processes in the courts, uh, there is a decision under seal that has rejected most of Mike Pence's claims of privilege, uh, where he said that he should not have to testify about matters related to January 6th for the uh, the special counsel's grand jury down in Washington, D.C., uh, because of the speech or debate clause. The clause of the Constitution says that you can't uh, question senators and representatives about certain aspects of their official duties. He contends that in his capacity as, as president of the Senate, uh, that he was also covered by the speech or debate clause. And what CNN is reporting is that there is this ruling under seal and it says that Mike Pence can still decline to answer questions about his actions on January 6th itself, the things that he really was doing uh, in his capacity as president of the Senate, uh, but they won't let him avoid questioning on his conversations with Donald Trump. Yeah. And, you know, Josh, you know me, I kind of hate reporting on under seal orders because we're getting filtered impressions of what's in those orders. We're probably getting an advocate on one side or the other of their impression, and they're getting the reporter filtering what they said until we get something that may or not may not closely resemble what the judge's actual logic is. We don't even know for sure that this was ultimately about a speech or debate clause objection versus some other maybe even more harebrained objection. But the (laughs) idea that um, the only thing the judge is going to allow Pence to refuse to talk about is his decision-making process as presiding president of the Senate on January 6th when the Senate was making decisions suggests that maybe the judge looked at the speech or debate clause um, objection and said, well, if this applies at all to the vice president, it would only apply when he's actually functioning as a presiding member of the Senate. And that's only this core moment when he's doing just this. So that would make some logical sense. But again, we're we're guessing a little bit. And uh, we know that Pence and really everyone coming and making objections to special counsel Jack Smith's investigation. And remember, this is the investigation of January 6th and whether or not Trump obstructed or interfered with proceedings. Everyone's been making very broad objections and kind of the kitchen sink approach. So we can't know for sure exactly what the judge is responding to until we actually read the order. 
And so do we expect that we will see that unsealed order soon? Maybe not soon, but at some point it will be unsealed unless, you know, if if this is a situation where nothing ever ripens into charges, which is always a distinct possibility when you're talking about investigations of uh, former President Trump, then it could just all disappear forever into a black hole. Uh, unless some clever media outlet uh, makes a convincing argument it should be unsealed. What if Mike Pence appeals the decision? Can an appellate court consider it without unsealing it? Yes, an appellate court can consider sealed proceedings, and that's not unusual when you have appellate review of grand jury proceedings and, and, and things like that. And so then that would produce also a sealed opinion eventually from an appellate court that would also, we'd have to wait for this to ripen into some sort of charges? Yes, it might be a partially sealed opinion uh, with only parts of it redacted, or they could decide this isn't proper for sealing and they could unseal it. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I hope that uh, soon we will have uh, something more fleshed out than a CNN report that we can look at and uh, report back to you listeners on regarding this. Uh, let's talk about E. Jean Carroll. That defamation case that she brought against the former president continues to march toward trial. Uh, again, it's supposed to be a trial scheduled to take place in, in April. And one decision that the judges made in this case is the jury will not be sequestered, um, but the jury will be anonymous to the public. The, the parties will know who's in the jury, but the public will not know who the members of the jury are. This, Ken, this seems to me like the sort of thing like that they do in mafia cases, cases where the jury, they're, they're concerned that the jury will face uh, pressure uh, from interested parties uh, if, if their identity is known. It, it has to be unusual in a defamation lawsuit, right? It's unusual in a defamation lawsuit. It's not restricted to things quite as dramatic as the mafia. It's when there's going to be huge amounts of pressure on the jurors, and that's the perception. You're right that the judge said they're not going to be sequestered, which, remember, just means that they're not going to be cooped up in a hotel for the, the length of the trial with no contact with anybody. But um, their names and uh, identifying information are going to be kept only in the knowledge of the court and the lawyers. So the lawyers are not going to be allowed to publicize it. We're not going to have their names reported in public, that type of thing. What the judge said here was that uh, Trump's actions in terms of reacting to the DA's investigation, calling for protests, calling, uh, you know, some interpreted calling for violence, uh, his long history of attacking people in the court system vociferously during the process of various cases, all that put the jurors at some risk from his followers and fans, and that the judge thought on balance it was appropriate to have the jury be anonymous to the public. The judge has pretty broad discretion to do that because you're not really depriving uh, the defendant of anything um, other than publishing the, the juror names. Uh, sometimes the press will push back on it, particularly after a case is over. And so there's no issue of their names being public interfering with the deliberative process. Uh, but it's, it's not terribly unusual and the judge has pretty broad discretion to do it. That's this week's free episode of Serious Trouble. Uh, I want to thank you for listening. And again, uh, if you want to hear about Afro Man, can you really be sued for misappropriation of a police officer's likeness if you use footage of that police officer staring at your pound cake in a music video? 
Uh, this is news you can use. This is something that may come up in your life one day. Uh, you can go to SeriousTrouble.show, become a paying subscriber for $6 a month or $60 a year. You can listen to the full version of this week's episode with that update on Afro Man, also some updates on Sam Bankman-Fried. And you'll get every full episode that we produce of this show, at least 40 episodes a year. Uh, again, uh, go to SeriousTrouble.show and you can sign up for that. And in any case, thank you for listening. 